Hello and welcome to the Celex on the Block Crypto Podcast, where we discuss a variety of topics related to digital assets and financial markets. My name is Friedrich Herzog and I'm the Crypto Strategy Manager at Silex Investment Partners. In today's episode, we sit down with Jose Paramoyano. Jose is an assistant professor at the Copenhagen Business School where he conducts research on the management and economics of data and privacy, which also includes blockchain technology. He holds a PhD in management and economics from the University of Zurich and has attended courses in computational economics at Stanford. He has also been appointed as a global shaper by the World Economic Forum. He is a research fellow at the Blockchain Center of the University College in London, a researcher at the University of Zurich Blockchain Center, and a fellow at the Digital Economist. Moreover, he has been listed as a Forbes 30 under 30 and has demonstrated success in startup founding. So, without further ado, let's jump right into the episode. Um, well, Jose, thank you very much uh, for joining today on our podcast. This is actually the first episode of our uh, crypto podcast, and I'm super, super excited about it. Um, and obviously, um, I, I knew Jose, we know each other for several years now. We actually studied together in undergrad, um, then lost not track of each other, but I, I went to the United States. You, you did some other awesome stuff in academia. Um, and now we met. We meet again in the crypto space. So this is awesome. Exactly, the and, world is um, very small, and the, the crypto world is even smaller. I would say. Yes, exactly. And you seek out the people who are in crypto. Um, <laughs> why, uh, Jose? Why don't we start this way? Why don't you give people a quick um, personal overview uh, about your background? Um, you know, your path, what you're currently doing, but then also maybe your path into kind of crypto and and how that all relates uh, together. That would be great. Sure, absolutely. Let's start. Uh, let's start with the second part of your of your question. So it was uh, 2012, and I uh, fresh after after finishing our, our bachelor's degree in, in Zurich that we did together, as you just mentioned. I started an internship in a very uh, small consulting firm in Zurich. Uh, it was called Swiss Economics, and one of the uh, managing partners uh, started speaking during the Christmas uh, dinner. Which was, by the way, my first contact with the with the company because I would only start uh, after Christmas. Started speaking about something called Bitcoin, and I said, "No, never, never heard about it." And he told me that it was like a cryptocurrency, okay? And the price had just gone from a couple of cents to, uh, I believe, it was 19 US dollars. And I thought, "Wow, that's a, that's a bubble I missed, right? Or that's a, that's an increase that I that I missed." So. Sadly, I, I won't become rich with <laughs> with this thing called Bitcoin, right? But uh, then I, I forgot about it, but started reading about it again at some point. And that managing partner, he uh, he managed to to get some some projects to to study cryptocurrencies for for some clients that uh, that he won. And I was lucky enough that I was given the opportunity to work in one of these projects. And then I started really learning and understanding what what Bitcoin was. There was no blockchain back then. It's 2013 now, right? And the pirate days where you would buy Bitcoin. I bought my first Bitcoins in a Starbucks which, uh, to someone that I met uh, in an online forum that was selling Bitcoin. I thought, okay, I'm going to be scammed. This is going to be a very bad decision, but I'll do it anyways. I have to do it. I have to try this. And uh, so I bought some Bitcoin. Um, and this then, was, um, the, sorry, this was 2013? 2013, yeah, I bought that uh, at $70, $70. And the problem is that uh, afterwards I lost the Bitcoin. I don't know, many of you will remember uh, Mount Fox, the Mount Fox hack. Well, I was yes. there, so my private keys were stored. Well, basically my, my password to, to get access to my private keys. And uh, so I lost that Bitcoin. 
didn't become rich again. But I learned many, many things. And, and this is where I, I really understood the technology behind Bitcoin, the proof of work protocol. I, I consider that absolutely fascinating. It's a combination of mathematics, economics, uh, even law, if you dare, human psychology it contains so many different uh, or so much knowledge from so many different areas. And um, I kept studying that. And after, after it works, when I started my PhD, also at the University of Zurich, I decided to make this the central motive of my of my PhD research, right? The, the management and economics of blockchain-based protocols. It was 2016, and blockchain was already existing, right? So people at yeah. the beginning, the banks would, would say Bitcoin is evil, Bitcoin is mean, and we don't want to put our name close to Bitcoin. Ah, but blockchain we like, so blockchain we can do no Bitcoin. And ah, okay. it was the tone in 2016, as we see today, that the 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 tone again has changed drastically and people is now much more open to, to invest in, in crypto assets and uh, this type of this type of element. So this was like my personal journey to from from knowing nothing about Bitcoin to basically uh, doing a PhD in the management and economics of blockchain protocols. Right? Um, and then lucky enough, in 2019, I became an assistant professor at the Copenhagen Business School, where I am now. Uh, to to study blockchain uh, protocols and applications in the real world. So I started working for in the project for a hospital uh, here in Denmark that wanted to to do some data economy projects, data sharing while keeping data private. And this where blockchain played a pivotal role. And then I continued on this on this venue of uh, sharing data while respecting people's privacy where blockchain has become a little piece that is necessary to achieve this uh, this data sharing between different parties while keeping the data private. So this is basically where I am now. Okay. Yeah, so that's super interesting. Maybe uh, because you are in academia, um, you know, mm -hmm. as, as you said, the assistant professor in, in Copenhagen, um, what, what would you say is the current state of, of, of crypto in academia? So what are people in academia interested in, in crypto i guess is the question because we we know it from the financial markets we obviously know people are interested in in buying and selling and and you developing trading strategies and we know some of the use cases of crypto that people typically talk about but for academics i guess what really is the the interesting part in crypto slash blockchain and what are people researching the interesting part about this uh, question is that since uh, blockchain protocols Bitcoin protocol in general, but blockchain protocols are so um, so diverse in the knowledge areas that they touch upon. Blockchain is being studied and researched from so many different angles. So you have economists studying the incentive structures in blockchain protocols. Because the blockchain protocol is something that you can design, right? Anyone can just design yeah. a protocol. So you can decide how you uh, reward or punish miners if you have miners. How do you create the money? How do you distribute it? When do you distribute yeah. it? And all these decisions that you as a designer need to make, they have an influence in the, let's say, health of whichever ecosystem emerges afterwards, right? So economists, economists studying incentive structures in, uh, in blockchain protocols to ensure that everyone behaves as they have to behave. And of course, of course, computer scientists studying it from many different perspectives. Uh, researchers in information systems, where I am moving right now, that study how to um, use blockchain 
to create value in the real world, not necessarily in the crypto space, but also in other areas, like uh, to mitigate information asymmetries, to uh, provide trust in certain environments, in certain uh, in certain areas where there is a lack of trust right now, using blockchain as a signal. So uh, basically, every area from the economy to computer science has had any some kind of contact with uh, with blockchain protocols because it's something very very complex and very very rich. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually I find that pretty interesting because it is. If, if we think about what happened here, is that there was this kind of almost rogue community of people developing, <laughs> um, and and I don't mean this in a negative way, um, but like in a very very smart people developing these kind of blockchain protocols. You know, some of them we don't know. We don't know who Satoshi is, but but others we do know. Some of them have academic backgrounds. Others don't have any academic background. Some of them are in their early twenties. And they're developing this kind of stuff, and then academics go and, and look at it because there's apparently interesting findings to be to be had, right? I find that pretty interesting that this kind of community can just create things that then in academia we find interesting because we realize that maybe there are lessons that we can learn. Because I guess that's that's the point. Isn't that the point, right, of the research to see if there are any lessons that we can learn from it or if there are flaws it's a, in the designs, it's a very interesting, very interesting question that you are that you are asking, and I have I've suffered with that question <laughs> for many years because at the beginning, uh, 2015, 2016, um, the research with which I was in contact, which definitely is not all the research, so maybe some other research will will listen to this podcast and say, hey, back in 2015, I was doing something different, right? But what I saw back then is that people were trying to propose things that you could do with blockchain. So yeah. the design science uh, research stream was very rich because they were designing how to use blockchain or using blockchain to design new type of systems. The problem with that is that you can only propose ideas, you can only propose new um, systems to create, right? And you need a lot of time in order to prove that these systems that you're proposing are solid enough. Right? Okay. So this is a yeah. very difficult stream of research. The other part of research is about explaining or finding new things about what has happened already. I can give you an example about a project where I am working right now with, uh, with a researcher from the uh, University of Mannheim. We are looking at Polkadot auctions. So Polkadot is an infrastructure in blockchain that enables you to have side chains, basically parallel chains that allow whoever is owning that sidechain to determine the rules of that blockchain in an independent way, while at the same time relying on the security and on the trust of the central chain. So imagine that you want to propose a blockchain-based company, you need a blockchain, right? But you don't want to uh, work on developing a protocol yourself that is going to be strong enough to ensure that everything is secure, private, whatever. But you want, but you need some some conditions, some elements that you need to adapt for your particular company. Then you will try to get access to one of these side chains, work on the particularities of your firm, but the security will be provided by the Polkadot, basically, the ecosystem, right? Yeah. Now, because the number of these side chains is limited, what the, what the foundation behind Polkadot is doing is sell them in auctions. Okay, mm -hmm. so yeah. all the companies that want to have access to one of these sidechains, they participate in the auction, and then if they win, they have access to one of these sidechains for a particular amount of time. 
one one thing that academia is trying to do is to see if the theory of options, how you should uh, make your bids in the options, what would be rational, what would maximize your benefit, is if you if you can see these rational, these optimal strategies reflected yes. in what people is actually doing. And, and because yeah, so if, if you don't, if you don't, sorry, then yeah, we have an advantage there. Yes, yes, yes. Fair enough. Okay, that's a good point. But and what is the kind of maybe this is too general of an argument, but or, or maybe maybe it's not easy to generalize here. But what do you see um, people when they develop these types of blockchains? Let's. I don't want to necessarily, you know, um, Polkadot. It's not just about Polkadot, but like any blockchains that you see. Yeah. Um, do you see that people who build these things actually build pretty good systems that you know academics say, well, yeah, actually we wouldn't have had a better model. The model is pretty good, incentives are aligned. Or do you see a some lot people, of room some improvement? Some people do, right? Minor yeah. exceptions. The majority of the projects so far have failed. Yeah. And okay. if they have failed, is probably because there is a fatal flaw in yes. their in their design. We can look at the example of. Uh, of Terra Luna, right? The stable right, right. coin that uh, was algorithmic stable coin. It had a protocol behind to hope to ensure the the stability of the price that was right, taken yeah. to the US dollar, but um, but it didn't work. Yes, yes. and uh, of course, ex post and say explaining something once it has happened is very easy. I'm here in a very comfortable position, right? But the reality shows that the way in which the uh, protocol was designed has some flaw or didn't have, didn't have to consider everything and um, and the result was yeah. what we also absolute collapse of the of the cryptocurrency right okay. uh, but it's a in their defense I'll say it's a it's a difficult field it's a very new field and it's uh, it's very it's really difficult and challenging to move in an area where things need to be set Right, where things have not been done yet, so it's a uh, it's complex. I don't I don't judge them um, severely, right? Some people yes. do well, some people do bad. I think it's very important to have responsibility to acknowledge all the things you don't know, and to be very very honest with with potential investors, with potential clients, and of course with yourself. The problem is that some people just try to get rich very fast, and the honesty yeah. dimension gets a little <laughs> bit forgotten sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, it's an early field, so mistakes will be made. I agree. I think it's about um, how you how you portray your project and how how um, transparent you are, and how you mm -hmm. communicate um, to kind of the stakeholders, the customers, or, or you know, or investors of what your project is is trying to do, and 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 be aware of those risks. And um, I think that's what separates it. But but mistakes will be made. I mean, Soros was able to attack the Bank of England. So it's not just <laughs> in crypto where um, where people, you know, will make mistakes and are kind of um, subject to attacks, perhaps. I mean, that, that happened in traditional finance, too. Um, so I, I agree with you there. It's, it's, you know, and it's a good it's a good learning, I, I presume, mm -hmm. for many people. Absolutely. The thing is that Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies in general, they're, they're still very new, right? The Bitcoin paper was uh, published in 2008. Today it's 2022. We didn't have enough time to test so many things to, to try. What I said before, it was only in 2016 that banks started speaking about blockchain as something that they could eventually consider. Before yes. 2016, Bitcoin or cryptos were, for them, were evil, were very, very bad things. Don't touch at all. 
right? Yes. yes. So if we take this uh, 2016 as somehow the beginning of the uh, entrepreneurial or, or corporate development of blockchain-based systems, then it's even less time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we are still so in the very early stage. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. And and would you would you say that um, in the kind of academic academic um, universe that, that you're in, do you think is it as controversial like studying? So in, in traditional finance, um, mm. going into crypto or <laughs> investing in crypto um, is has been pretty controversial the last two years. I feel like now people are wrapping their head around it. But um, when when I just you know moved into the space, it was still controversial, and. Um, I guess my question is: In academia, is it also controversial to be a, a researcher in blockchain and crypto? Are are other researchers kind of smiling about that, uh, and uh, you know, or has it always have people in, in academia always been just you know intellectually always curious that they would never kind of judge a book? Oh no, cover? not at all. We are we are just as uh, controversial <laughs> and aggressive as uh, as the rest of the, <laughs> the disciplines or professions. So I can give you an, an example there, or an anecdote. In 2016, uh, when I started my PhD, uh, I approached another another uh, chair to eventually consider doing the, the PhD as a chair. And I said that I wanted to do this about blockchain or Bitcoin. And they told me, no, 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 you cannot do that. You, you cannot okay. do that. That's not serious enough. It's like you cannot write a PhD in, in an economics or management faculty about, about Bitcoin. It's not it's not going to play. <laughs> it's a it's a real pity because uh, we would have been earlier uh, yes. in the game, right? But of course, I mean, some people say blockchain will will pass and Bitcoin will pass. Sometimes I also think that, right? Just sometimes, right? I think, okay, is this is this blockchain topic really going to to revolutionize everything as some people have uh, anticipated or, yeah. or conjecture? And sometimes I believe no. It's just going to be a tiny piece somewhere to enable something new, which is why before when I was introducing that topic, I ended speaking about the data economy. Yeah. Data is something that we have studied for much, much longer. Uh, and the, the fact that we can generate value out of data, this is something uncontestable right now. The problem right. is that when you analyze data or the more data you analyze, the more privacy of the people you are violating or you are sacrificing of consumers. And this poses a serious threat or a serious challenge to society in general, even to, to the well functioning of markets. Yeah. And blockchain can be is a little tiny piece that can help to mitigate this tension between right. privacy preservation and data-based value creation. So what I believe is going to happen, or maybe it's what I hope, and I'm just uh, exercising <laughs> yes, wishful thinking. To differentiate right? those two things. Exactly. So <laughs> let's be very honest, even with myself. What I would like to happen is that in the next couple of years, we start seeing cases where we use blockchains but, or blockchain protocols, but we don't speak about blockchain protocols because yes. blockchain is just going to be the enabler to do something much, much bigger, right? Yeah, and yeah. when this happens, then blockchain will be mature enough. We use databases for everything, but no project will tell you. Oh, by the way, if we use a database architecture, SQL. Yeah. No one, right? It's not a value proposition. Without uh, database management, right, we wouldn't be able to to do what we do. But so that's that's a great. Sorry, go ahead. One of what what we what is interesting is what we do, not that we use a database, right? Right. Then I hope, I wish that in five or in ten years we will do things that we cannot do today, 
just because blockchain has enabled us to do that. If we use a blockchain or or not, it should be relevant at the end of the day. Right. So, no, that's a good point. And that brings me to, to one of the questions that um, I go back and forth on is, um, you know, is, is blockchain technology at some point or crypto and, and maybe, let's say, Ethereum or, or any of these mm -hmm. smart contract platforms, for example, are they at some point only going to be uh, an infrastructure layer um, at the very bottom of, of, a, of kind of a technology stack? Um, similar to how TCP IP or we use HTTP and nobody asks questions about it. Mm -hmm. Is is that going to be the future? Um, in which case, that's you know that's not necessarily a good um, necessarily for an, from an investment perspective because then that means mm -hmm. the value capture is not in that part of the stack. Um, or where I, do you think it's going to go? Honestly, and continuing the vein of being very honest, I don't know. <laughs> But <laughs> yes. if I would have to make a conjecture right now, I wouldn't think so. Because there is one element about blockchains that um, that is what really can enable us to do new things, which is this whole idea of the compensation, the token or the cryptocurrency to a certain extent. I started speaking about incentive structures. The beauty, the, the, the geniality of the Bitcoin protocol is the way in which it manages incentives. The way in which the incentive structure in the Bitcoin protocol manages or achieves that everyone behaves as they have to as they should behave without the need that anyone controls everything and this is not because people become like nice and decent when they be when they are working with bitcoin or with bitcoin protocols it's because if they behave correctly correctly under the lenses of whoever designed the system they earn more money and that's the beauty about it whenever you do what you should do you're better off than whenever you try to attack the system Now, if we go, if we try to make a journey towards the future, into the future, and think about Web3, right? The metaverse. I don't know how the metaverse is going to look like. I don't know what the Web3, how Web3 environments are going to look like. But I imagine something like the internet right now, but without the function of copy-paste. Meaning that whenever you want to reuse something that you see online, like a text, maybe this uh, interview when you want to listen to it, you cannot simply copy it and distribute it and use it for your own purposes. You have to somehow buy it. You have to somehow pay mm -hmm. someone, pay the creator for the work they did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is where cryptocurrencies will probably play a role. Okay. So I don't think that it's just going to become a layer somewhere in the bottom of the infrastructure. I think it's going to be a, definitely a layer at the bottom of the infrastructure, but that we're going to be able to recognize because probably we will be paid in tokens that emerge from that layer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes sense. And I, I think that goes to the um, the concept or the broader topic of tokenization. I think a lot of people think, you know, people, when, when I discuss crypto and, and the use cases of crypto, I think most people understand that it does make sense if just everything is tokenized, <laughs> whether it's a house or a car or w whatever it is, um, it does make sense that things are tokenized. Um, it will be a long journey to get there, but crypto is probably enabling that journey. It, it's probably, it's maybe possible without crypto, but very hard like to have centralized databases to control everything. And I think is, is pretty challenging, but um, so it's interesting to see where the journey goes. And, and I agree with you. I think, you know, no one should should think they they know exactly where the future goes, but um, it's, it's going to probably be be somewhere in the middle or a hybrid there. Mm -hmm. And um, so 
Talking a little bit about, uh, we, we mentioned earlier, you you are an academic professor, right? So I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, and no, no, don't worry, I'm not going to give you a test. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's for you to give to the students. Um, no, but I, I, I'm curious about your students. Um, so you obviously, as an assistant professor, you you teach. You teach in Copenhagen, I think. You teach in Mannheim, right? Mm -hmm. I, I believe you also teach in Switzerland um, occasionally. When you um, think about that student body, And you think about us back in the day, you know, over a decade ago mm -hmm. as students. Um, and then we have sometimes have debates. Obviously, you know, many people say crypto is a generational debate. You, depending on which generation you talk to, you have a very mm -hmm. different understanding. Do you see any differences when you speak to your students who are different generation versus our generation? So yours and mine versus maybe our parents' generation? The, the latter part of the question, I probably know the answer to. But I'm very curious about, like, especially the students of today mm -hmm. versus, you know, kind of those that were the previous generation of students? I think answering your question first in very generic terms, excuse me for that, and then I promise you I'll, yes. I'll answer it in more specific terms. I think that uh, younger generations tend to be more open to whatever is new, right? And this probably applies to the generations of our grand-grand-grand-grandparents and grand-grand-grandmothers, yeah. right? So in general terms, I would tell you the younger you are, probably the more open you are to, to something that is new. In that sense, going now to the specific part of the answer, the students today, bachelor's, master's students, they know much more about Bitcoin and blockchain than what we did 10 years ago, just like the general level of society, right? We had more time to, to study, uh, but they consider it uh, a part of the economy right now. So cryptos mm -hmm. and blockchains, they belong to the economy, period. Mm -hmm. There are good ones, bad ones, some people like them, some people don't. Uh, people criticize them, but they're there, and no one questions that they are there or that they mm. are somehow going to, to remain there. Whereas while we were studying the bachelor's degree or the master's, a lot of people would say, that's a scam, the Ponzi scheme. There are many scams and many Ponzi schemes, but uh, that there are also some healthy cryptocurrencies that will probably prevail. It's uh, as of today, as what I perceive from the students, uh, it's not a question. Okay, so you definitely, and you say that kind of the knowledge, the general knowledge base is there. You don't, when you walk oh, into yes. a class mm -hmm. on, on blockchain at the beginning of the semester, it's not, do you have to then explain what Bitcoin is uh, kind of at 101? Uh, well, I, mean, I have maybe to. Maybe you do that anyway, but do you, can you tell that actually the majority of people kind of know, the majority mm -hmm. of people kind of know blockchains, or do you have to start at the very bottom? Absolutely, and, and I would say the majority of them have, already traded with uh, cryptocurrencies. <laughs> half, of, half of my students have traded with crypto, right? They trade right. more than I do. And uh, what I have to explain, of course, is the, it's the underlying idea behind the mathematics of, of protocols, the incentive structures, the, the academic part of the reason why it makes sense to trade with some of these cryptocurrencies. And uh, so that is not yet, it's not Uh, part of the knowledge stack that they have, but they have used them. They have uh, lost money. Some of them have made money with them. So it's yeah. uh, the, the degree of openness towards crypto is just immense. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And then um, you you mentioned earlier data structures, and, and that's where you see um, you know potential for crypto. Maybe maybe it's good from to get from from an academic um, who studies you know these things um, more more so from you know from a very analytical point of view, what do you, where do you see the use case of, of crypto? And maybe mm -hmm. even give us an example of of use cases that you maybe already see actually playing out 
mm-hmm. um, or that that you think where it's that are going to be played out because people struggle with like do you really need blockchain right um, mm-hmm. I have this debate a lot where I um, explain you know the ownership structure of point three or where I where we where we talk about you know making certain processes um, you know payment processes faster and then the mm-hmm. counter argument is always well um, which which also makes sense is like well you know you don't really need decentralization all you need is kind of newer digital systems you have banks that have systems from the last 30 years because it's very hard for them to upgrade a system so the people say and i'm playing devil's advocate here people would say um you don't really need blockchain for that all you need is just a new system that can be centralized it doesn't need to be on a blockchain so my, i guess my question is like where do you see the use cases where do you see really blockchain making a potential difference and I would agree with the critique. I would agree with the Devin's advocate. For the majority of uh, the majority of the cases, you don't need a blockchain, even in blockchain-based systems yeah. as of today. So, out of the thousands of tokens that are out there, right, cryptocurrencies, the majority. If you ask me, and that's a personal opinion, if you ask the founders, they will tell you something. Some of them will tell you something different. The majority of these tokens of cryptos, they don't serve any purpose other than compensating the founders' team. And they create a sort of uh, artificial demand for the token, right? In order to keep the price up and uh, and cash out at some point. However, there are some cases in which you can have the system without the token, just like Bitcoin, for example. There can be no Bitcoin without the Bitcoin token. I know that this sounds uh, almost uh, redundant, right? There cannot be Bitcoin without Bitcoin. But the Bitcoin currency really fulfills a purpose, which is compensating miners for their electricity cost. If you don't compensate them for doing their job, this good thing that I mentioned before, they won't do it. So the, the economy, the, the Bitcoin economy will collapse, right? So you need that Bitcoin token. Something similar happens to Ethereum, right? You need the Ethereum token, the Ethereum cryptocurrency in order to compensate miners to do their job, because what they're doing creates value in sustaining that infrastructure. And there are many other tokens that uh, that work and that are that are whole, healthy and, and need to exist, but uh, but definitely not all of them. And now going to the second part of your question, uh, for the future, where do I see potential use cases? What I study a lot is data, is data compensations, data cooperatives, data unions, basically entities, business entities or associations or IT entities that compensate you for the use of your data. So rather than you basically using a service for free and getting your data analyzed, therefore your privacy violated, that you decide who is going to see which part of your data or to whom you are going to sell a particular element of your information, personal information, and then you're going to be compensated. And in those cases, a cryptocurrency can eventually add some value because you make the compensation in the token conditional and proportional to the actual operation, the exchange of information, the analysis of data, something like that. And where I see also a lot of potential is in the Web3, but we are still in the very early days, and I don't know how Web3, whatever it is, (laughs) is going to unfold. But if it is something like I imagine it, right, a sort of internet without the copy-paste function, then probably cryptocurrencies will be needed there. Recently, I learned about a very, very interesting case. It's a video game, it's a series of video video games based on a Web3 architecture system that depending on your your performance in the video game, something yeah. that you pay online, you get some tokens from that video game. 
those tokens is are what you need in order to buy better tools for the video game or, or avatars or even skins for your for your character and stuff, right? And people is buying the token in order to buy whatever they need in order to play the video. Yeah, 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 okay? correct, correct. Now, a consequence of this is that some people, as I learned recently in Indonesia, has stopped working in the real economy just to play that video game because they make more money every day playing the video game than what they do working in the real economy. Well, real economy, let's call it in the out of the video game economy. Right, right, right. right. In such a case, you need a token because you need to somehow condition that you can buy the the tool or the or the skin to the fact that you somehow play the game right so you want to compensate right. the people um is this good or is this bad i don't know is this a good token well probably yes because it's uh, self-contained in the system and mm -hmm. uh, it's fulfilling a, a criteria what's the problem that if the video game becomes obsolete and people stop playing the video game then your tokens will crash and the value will be basically zero. You will lose that money. Now, yeah. is it is it more likely that the currency of the video game crashes than that the US dollar crashes? Well, probably yes. <laughs> Definitely yes, right? Yeah. Um, can the US dollar crash under some circumstances maybe also? Right. Yeah, no, no, that's that's true. And I think I think in gaming is is one of the Almost is also the most obvious, more obvious ones. I think I agree with you. I think the data structure sharing side of things. So, for example, you have a social media platform, and you know your data is tokenized and and can be or wrapped in an NFT or whatever. And if it's sold to advertising companies, you get a revenue share or something like that. Um, I think that that's obviously some something that's super interesting. But and I think gaming is is one as, as you mentioned, like Axie Infinity is is one of those um, exactly. games um, where where that happens, right? And I think that's that's super interesting. And I think what's even more interesting there, and having been a gamer myself, is that you don't spend a ton of money inside a game because this is possible without blockchain. Just to be very clear, right? Like mm. you could have a game where you purchase where you have a token or something, you purchase something, you sell something, that's totally possible without blockchain. What I think blockchain enables there is, um, what, what, what people sometimes miss a little is, blockchain enables those items that you buy or the character you build to be unique. So, you know, he, you and I are here today, Jose, you're a unique person. There's only one Jose, I see you on the screen maybe, and maybe somebody else has a picture of you, but still there's only one Jose, um, there's only one me, uh, not as valuable as Jose, but, <laughs> but um, <laughs> the point is that, now you you if you have this game and you have an avatar you can make that avatar super unique so it's maybe the avatar that that freddy played um, and now in 10 years it's still the avatar that freddy played because it's an 11 and an nft it's super unique so you're bringing that uniqueness and that only happens um through through blockchain right i'm loving what you just said because you have put words very nice words to my very <laughs> rudimentary analogy of the lack of the copy paste function yes, yes, right yes, on web3 so you you just said it perfectly right it's the uniqueness and the 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 inability that anyone will, everyone will have to just copy that because it's right, unique. Right. Therefore, only one person can uh, own it, and that's the beauty. This, this is how things start to converge, right? Yeah. NFTs, cryptocurrencies, to compensate for the purchase or to get exclusive use of that unique thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then the Web three, where the NFTs are true NFTs in the sense that they cannot be copied. Right? You can, right, right, right. I can create a digital picture here on the internet. I mean created as an NFT, but if I show it to you here from my screen, you can make a copy-paste, uh, a screenshot, and, and just use it, right? If, if this copy-paste, if this screenshot function is not available somehow, then 
you can only have it if you pay me. How are you going to pay me? Probably in some kind of cryptocurrency that will make sense in order to uh, incentivize me to use their NFT infrastructure rather than the NFT infrastructure of another person. So basically to whoever creates an actual value. If this NFT infrastructure would be based on a Ponzi scheme logic, then the price one day will collapse because someone will realize we will have a bank run, price will crash and will be equal to zero. But if someone creates value and it's not a Ponzi scheme, then the Ponzi moment will not arrive. So the value will be can go up and down or whatever, right? As long as you create value, the currency will have the value. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think I would love to keep keep talking and longer because there's a lot of interesting stuff to to uncover. But I I think we're we're going on time. But uh, maybe maybe lastly, just a, a, out of curiosity, Jose, mm-hmm. um, you know, in in the academic space, where do you see uh, on the where where are the people most I want to say progressive and most advanced? Where does most of the research happen? Is it Europe? Is it Asia? Is it US? Maybe that answer, maybe it's not easy to answer that question, or maybe you don't want to answer that question. But <laughs> I, I, I'm actually just curious because obviously in in the investment world we know where it's playing out, but in the in, academic world, where are we most progressive when it comes to researching this this type of stuff? In academia, the United States are king or queen. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I think that this applies to many disciplines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> and I see that I see that in the in the blockchain space, particularly in economics. Right, the United States, they, those universities, those scholars, being there, right, not necessarily from the US, but those that work there, they are they are fantastic. In the defense of Europe, I would say that eventually some European universities they have a a, a different approach. Uh, towards some other values, right? Maybe it's more about privacy. Although what I'm saying, it's it's very contestable, right? Because there are some some institutions in the in the United States and even some states that are uh, all about privacy, right? So it's it's really depend it really depends. But the U.S. attracts the majority of uh, of good researchers, and and therefore they they win. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. Um, but we are also great in Europe, and eh? we do we do yes. nice stuff sometimes sometimes. <laughs> no. And in Asia. And in Asia, uh, there is a lot of innovation there also happening, right? Particularly yeah. in the in the fintech space. Right. Um, it's it's truly a multipolarized world in that sense. It it needs to be distributed. If we're speaking right. about blockchain, right? It's a distributed effort in that sense. Right, right. Um, all right, Jose. Thank you very much for for your time. Uh, this was awesome, and I hope we can do a part two at some point in the future. Um, thank you. It's really great. Time. Thank you for your time, and um, see you soon again. See you soon. Thank you. The information on this podcast is provided for educational, informational and entertainment purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for any particular purpose. The information contained in or provided from or through this podcast is not intended to be and does not constitute financial advice, investment advice or any other advice. The information on this website and provided from or through this podcast is general in nature and is not specific to you, the user or anyone else. You should not make any decision, financial investment or otherwise, based on any of the information presented on this website without undertaking independent due diligence in consultation with a professional broker or financial advisory. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Risk Statement 
Investment in bitcoins and other alternative cryptocurrencies induces risks that may not be suitable for all people. Anyone wishing to invest should seek his or her own independent financial or professional advice.